again. It's so hot. I can't stop thinking about it, and I apologize for that. Welcome back to Detroit Strange, the sweaty edition. <laughs> mm-hmm. No words have ever been truer. I mean, I can't complain too much, though, because I moved all the stuff back to the Uki Spooky Studios, a.k.a. my basement, and it's a little cooler down here. Yeah. I'm still in my closet. It's hot. I added an extra blanket today, even. Yeah. It's really holding all that heat in. Yep. But yep. sound? I hope it sounds good. Yeah. Sounds okay when I edit, I think. So hopefully yeah. that translates. I think it does. It been sounding good. Okay, good. Good. I'm glad to hear that. So how are you? I'm pretty good. Good, good. How about you? Uh, I'm good. Question mark. You know, the huge. Yeah. The quarantine, past quarantine, but still quarantine huge. Yeah, I, I, that's kind of just what you can hope for these days. It's like, I'm doing okay. Yeah, so some days better than others. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did watch movies for my topic today, though, which in usual fashion, I changed, Uh as I told you today. As one does. Yeah, you know, I wanted to watch this movie anyway, and it kind of gave me, you know, the confirm not confirmation, the. The push to go. Yes. You say push. I say oomph. Just the same general, like, idea. It's just yours is more of a sound. Yes, exactly. Like, that's the sound of a push is oomph. Yes, exactly. So, that was lovely, though. Yes. Yes. Um, I had some pet drama today. Oh, yeah, you were telling me about that. Plants. Plants and cats. Gotta research your plants. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she lives with my parents usually, but I was, so I was only cat-sitting. Mm-hmm. Which is why I didn't think of anything. But yeah, I moved a plant two days ago, not thinking anything. She's old and like doesn't do anything except sleep. Mm -hmm. And then I found out she was eating this plant. And that it is toxic to cats. Yeah, I always worry about Daisy when she comes over. I'm like, please don't die while you're here. I'll be real sad. And just just stay alive, Daisy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Zoe was okay. She just... Like dehydration was one of the main things and dilated pupils and her pupils were definitely dilated. But like the big thing was like that could lead to like further big problems is dehydration. Like other than that, it will like work itself out in like 12 to 24 hours kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. It is re- some sites recommended to take her into the vet. Some sites didn't. But my parents called their vet this morning mm-hmm. and they're seeing her tomorrow. But that's actually she's got like an eye issue, too, that they're going to see her about tomorrow. But it was and it was like 5 a.m. when this came to my attention and too early. Yeah. Then I was just like, now I have to stare at you all day. Right. Ugh. So fun times. Oh, definitely. <laughs> How was work? Uh, work is fine. It's been kind of chill just because like people had yesterday off because of the fourth and then or people took yesterday off and say, oh, had. OK, I was like, that's weird. No. Yeah. So people were off and just kind of it's nice. But yeah, it's been chill. It's been good. Good, 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 good. I've moved on to a new movie series. I've already finished it because it's only a trilogy, but uh, the Oceans movies. You ever seen those? Oh, I've seen the first one. OK. Yeah. Eleven. Right. Yep. That's the first one. Yeah. Yeah. But like. I think I saw it in the theater, maybe even like it was a long time ago whenever I saw it. So I I remember the heist component of it, but I don't yeah. like I could not tell you a single line or specific scene or anything. It's in Vegas. Yep. It's a heist. There's 11 of them. I've watched the first one twice in the past week mm-hmm. and the other two once. How was like the the last one was the female cast one, right? So there's the trilogy, which is Oceans 11, 12, and 13, and then Oceans 8 is kind of its own thing. I didn't know there was a 12. I just knew there was an 11 and 13. Yeah. So it's 11, 12, 13, 8. 
I thought they were just working with prime numbers or something. No, it's like I think it's the number of people <laughs> he has to run the job. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But they're good movies. I enjoy a good heist movie. It's not my go-to. Mm-hmm. I do remember being surprisingly entertained by the first one, so I probably would enjoy the other ones, but... It's a very, like, light-hearted heist. It's not like mm-hmm. we have to get this money to save. It's like, nah, I feel like stealing some stuff. This guy's an asshole. Yeah. Honestly, like, you can't beat... Like, it's like George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, like... All-star I love, cast. Like, yeah, I love, like, um, Brad Pitt and George Clooney when they're together in any movie, because they just have, like great chemistry like i think there's like this one scene where they're at the bar and george Clooney's the only one talking like brad pitch is kind of like hands down like looking at the tv at the bar and george's like we got 10 people is that enough you think we should have one more okay i'll get one more and like they said it's just like i don't know they've got great chemistry i like those two yeah no it's fun to chemistry is a weird thing because you can't predict it until you see like two people actually together yeah. And then, I don't know, it's a lot of fun. I'm always interested when somebody tells me that, like, I have good stage chemistry or something with somebody. I'm like, oh, it's fun. Right, because I feel like sometimes you can't see it yourself. No, no, you, I usually have no idea. Like, I'm enjoying, you know, the performance or whatever. Yeah. But I'm not, I, I wouldn't call it anything, you know, different right. the few times it's been said to me. And I'm like, I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. Have you and I ever... We've never been on stage together. Um... I don't think so. No, I don't think we have. Mm, I mean, other than, like, a live show, but that's different. Right. Like, we've never, like, done, like, improv or, like, Mm-mm. sketch together. Mm-mm, that's kind of weird. Yeah. I'll have to change that when, um... People can see people? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 2021 it is. Yes. Maybe 2022. Who knows? No, that's a lie. We were in um, we were in that sketch show. Oh, the Christmas one for Dusty Bunny Presents. Yeah. Yes. Oh, wait, no, but I wasn't in that. I just wrote oh, you it weren't. and directed it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> First, I forgot that you weren't actually in it. Mm-hmm. What about the other sketch show for Dusty Bunny? <laughs> As the bossy one. <laughs> no, because I had your face on a T-shirt for that one. Oh, we were in that. Okay. Yes. Playing okay. love interests. We- um i love it because i've also played uh other jessica's love interest i love that yeah yeah no that was a lot of fun how could i forget about that i think it's because we do so much stuff together Mm -hmm. and that was a bit ago it was it was a lot of fun though i still wear that shirt i every time you wear that shirt i immediately start cracking up same like, if I've had a day, or if, like, you're coming over, I know you've had a day, or if I'm going to see you, like, uh, sometimes there's, like, I'm going to see Jess, I'm going to wear the shirt today. <laughs> it's always the right choice. Yes. Just FYI. Um, although it's very um, sheer. Not intentionally. Isn't that why you kind of chose it? Because you were like, eh, if, I, if I mess the shirt up, it's okay, because it's... 100%. Yeah. I do worry about that sometimes when I'm on stage, because, like, I remember one time... I wanted to open a Skeleton Farm show with, hi, we're Skeleton Farm, and blah, blah, blah. Just like, I hope you can't see my nipples, but I kind of hope you do. <laughs> but they they didn't go for it, so it didn't happen. Aww. Yeah. Well, if we ever have a show that you're opening, feel free. I love just, like, nonsense openings. My gift to you. Thank you. Uh, that was my whole goal of starting this podcast, <laughs> was for this moment you're good at the nonsense openings i you come up with them regularly there was one i came with recently i'm like i love the ones where um i come up with like a fake name for them hold on i'll look just because oh here's hi i'm the tall guy with no face talking shit about you slander man (laughs) nice I like that. Hi, I'm the countertop specialist and 70s cult classic enthusiast, Granite Janet. <laughs> um, those are my favorites. Oh, those are pretty good. I enjoy those. Hi, I'm the actress who played the queen who also won a spelling bee, Spelling Mirren. Oh, I do remember that one. Yeah. I like that one. 
Ugh. Love it all. Yes. Ugh. You sipping on anything? I am. I'm just working my way through the hard seltzers of the world. Uh, right now, it's a Bud Light hard seltzer. How's that treating you? It's pretty good. They have a strawberry one, which I don't see anyone else doing. It's a nice choice. Yeah. I do appreciate a good alternative flavor. Yeah. Mm. I like variety, you know. Spice of life. Yeah. We all need a little spice. What are you sipping on over there in your beautiful blue jar? Um, I kind of threw a bunch of stuff together. So it's hibiscus green tea that I had mm-hmm. with some tequila and then a blueberry lemonade sparkling water Ooh. and a touch of simple syrup and lime juice. That sounds delicious. It's pretty good. I was surprised it happened so fast. It was mostly I was just like walking by and I was like, oh, yeah, that'd go with this. Oh, yeah, that'd go with this, too. Like, I was just going to do the iced tea with like a little vodka in it and some ice. And then I was like, oh, no. I'm going to yeah. put tequila in it. And then I was like, ooh, lime juice. It just kept happening. Yeah. We stand a makeshift cocktail. I would drink this again, to be quite honest. You Good. know what? I would put this on a menu. What would you call it? What would you call it? Ooh, what would I call it? Something with hibiscus in it. Hi. Hibiscus. 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 Miscus. <laughs> um, it can't be any worse. You see that Tesla's coming out with a tequila now. Why? Tesla tequila. No, I hate that. Same. I want to like Tesla, but I just, Elon Musk makes it so hard. I'm like, yeah, they're doing cool stuff. Like in green cars. But then there's Elon Musk, and I'm like, ah, I want to like you, but I can't. It's an interesting figure. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's someone on a conference call. Oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, there's a lot worse. Oh, definitely. As far as like public figures. So he's like not a he's not bad. He's just like annoying. Yeah. I was going to say he's not an. He doesn't influence society in a terrible way, but he does pretentious things. Yeah. Like the naming of the child and all that kind of like that's that's just like a pretentious. Yeah, I don't know. I was talking we were talking about it on a um, conference call because someone was asking how to name their baby. And I was like, here's what you do. You bring a board game of Boggle. You roll the dice and whatever letters you get. That's what the baby's name. You got to make them into a name. That's what Elon Musk did. I think you use a Ouija board. Ooh. <laughs> this is my baby. No. <laughs> and her sister, goodbye. <laughs> and this one's just W. It just sat on W, so. Yeah. We call her dubs. Ah, <laughs> uh, love dubs. <laughs> Don't tell anyone, but she's my favorite. <laughs> Secret is safe with me. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> oh, yes. So are you ready for one of our famous transitions? Oh, I'm so ready. Getting right into it right now. About to get into this. We're going to transition. Maybe like the transition bongos. Ooh, yeah. Not this episode because they're in the other room, but. Or maybe like the transition recorder. Everyone would love that. I did learn how to play My Heart Will Go On earlier in quarantine. I was going to say, as the person who edits these, I don't know that I condone use of a recorder or a tambourine. Ah, oh. Damn. Love the tambourine. Not against them in person. What if I get one of those little baby xylophones? They're like, ding, 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 ding. Mm. Mm. We'll workshop think it. About, we'll think about it. How about like those, a like, big jug and go, hoo, 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 hoo. Are those like, I forget what they're called, but those like fish scale ones where you just take the stick down like the fish carcass looking thing? I shit you not. I've had a wood block in my Amazon cart for like months. I would dig that. I have a weird frog from Costa Rica that's like a miniature. It's not one of those, but it's the same principle. It's got like... A, it has a stick in its mouth that you take out and then it's got ridges on its back and you go over it and it makes like a like 
It sounds like a frog noise, actually, because it's only like three of them. Yeah. But it's, it's the same principle as that thing. I love that noise. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. What are those? Yeah. Uh, oh, castanets. Yes. That'd be fabulous. This is not a musical instrument podcast. No. <laughs> but you can come hear me uh, and my band play Alex and the... Oh, I should have Tamburettes. Tamburettes. I like that. Yeah. We're just trash, actually. Like, you know how Courtney loves band was just whole? <laughs> We're just trash. I like it. Rolls off the tongue. Trash. <laughs> Especially like that. Yeah. <laughs> I put a little stank on it because it's trash. So, yes, transition. Yes. Have you ever heard of a woman named Grace Lee Boggs? I have not. Excellent. Real quick, my sources, just because I don't want to forget, were DetroitSummer.wordpress.com, a NewYorker.com article called Postscript Grace Lee Boggs by Thomas J. Sugru. Sure. And then the movie, which is the one I watched this morning. How to Catch a Guy in 10 Days. I'm just kidding. That one. And American Revolutionary, The Evolution of Grace Lee Boggs. It was by filmmaker Grace Lee. No, no relation, oddly enough. Okay. She'd been visiting this woman for over a decade when she created this. And she had began filming her for another documentary called The Grace Lee Project about people with their name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just kind of kept visiting her and wanted to learn more about her. So what a strange project. Like the first one of like Grace Lee. Well, yes and no. They go into it a little bit. It's because it's a very common name uh, for Chinese Americans to have. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so I think, I think the movie kind of explores that aspect a little bit more, but I have not seen that movie, so I cannot talk to it a ton. Fair. So first of all, in the movie, it starts out with a quote from Grace. I feel so sorry for people not living in Detroit. Work. Yeah. I thought she'd make a good uh, story for the show. Yeah. So she was an author, social activist, philosopher, and feminist. And real quick, just to give you some of her accolades, she has honorary doctorates from the University of Michigan, Wooster College, Kalamazoo College, Wayne State University, Lifetime Achievement Awards from the Detroit City Council, Organization of Chinese Americans, Anti-Defamation League in Michigan, Michigan Coalition for Human Rights, Museum of Chinese in the Americas, the Association for Asian American Studies, Detroit News, Michiganian of the Year, and a place in both the National Women's Hall of Fame and Michigan Women's Hall of Fame. Damn. Yeah. Also, the movie American Revolution, The Evolution of Grace Lee Boggs, uh, won a Peabody Award. Nice. Yeah. And it's only from, I think it's like, two, I forgot to read this part down, but like 2016, 17. I don't know. It's not that old. Okay. So we're going to go back in time a little bit. Time warp, time warp, time warp. Let's do the time warp again. While still in China, Grace's father, Chin Gat Gun, uh, and again, I will pronounce everything to the best of my ability. There's not a ton of pronunciation in this one, but there are a few. His first wife wasn't able to have children, so he left her in pursuit of a younger woman. He, His new wife, Yin Lan, was born into the Ying family. Her family was very poor and sold her into slavery, which she escaped from. Uh, the uncle that sold her then arranged for her to marry Chin Li. She unfortunately was not given an education and could not read or write. That's really all the information I have about Mm. their arrangement but her father and mother immigrated or grace's father and mother immigrated from china to the u.s via seattle in 1911 and eventually made their way over to the east coast in the next few years so originally her father's name was chin dong good uh-huh. oh i spelled it wrong earlier so chin dong good uh mm. with chin name, chin being the surname yeah. and upon immigrating he took the name chin lee but eventually the family shortened it to just lee mm. So Grace was born Grace Chin Lee, June 27th, 1915, in Providence, Rhode Island, above her father's restaurant. He was known as, quote, the king of restaurant businessmen among the Chinese. Ooh. Yes. They eventually moved to New York City, where he opened a new restaurant on Broadway in 1924. So she grew up in the lower middle class with five brothers and sisters. Her Chinese name given was Yu Ping, meaning Jade Peace, which... It's beautiful. Yeah. Jade is beautiful. Peace is beautiful. Have you ever heard you're not supposed to give, like, you're not supposed to buy jade for yourself. You're only supposed to buy it as a gift. 
I have heard that. I don't know That's where. Interesting. It may have been me. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, she believed that the seeds of activism were planted by her family, but didn't really develop them until college. She always knew things needed to change, but college kind of offered her a different, you know, perspective and way to think. Mm -hmm. So always a reader. She was one of those early to college people at the age of 16. Love that. She had a scholarship, so she's a smarty pants. She studied at Barnard College in New York City, graduating in 1935. Okay. And there she found herself in the minority and being both Chinese and not from the upper class. So during this time, she also, um, well, during this, she, she talks about in the movie and I didn't write this down, but she talks about like, you know, feeling different and just kind of having that awareness about her. I don't think she at least doesn't talk about a lot of negative experiences, but like that awareness of it. But yeah. she did talk about she saw the gatherings in Union Square that were a protest against the harsh realities that the Great Depression caused the working class. Mm -hmm. So she started to see kind of groups rising, you know, in in the face of problematic things going on socially. Mm -hmm. uh, and this got her thinking. And this is when she dropped her classes and enrolled in philosophy courses instead. Okay. Yeah, so she began to study the works of the philosopher, the German philosopher Hegel, who I've never heard of before. Yeah, me neither. And he was alive during the French Revolution. <laughs> I wrote guillotines, baby. <laughs> and so he he witnessed like the violent aftermath of of that whole situation, and also just like the uprising of you know people against their leadership. Yeah. And his whole concept was basically that every idea contains its opposite. So, like, an idea really can't exist without the opposite ex idea also existing. Mm -hmm. And only by struggling through those contradictions can you get closer to the actual truth. Uh, I guess this is known as dialectical thinking. Okay. And, quote, Don't get stuck in old ideas. Keep recognizing that reality is changing and your ideas have to change. And that was from Grace Lee Boggs. I like that. Yeah, she loved this dude's whole everything. Like, she... Said she would read his writing as if listening to music. Okay. Yeah, like it would just consume her. So she followed her undergraduate degree by earning a PhD in philosophy uh, in 1940 from Bryn Mawr. Okay. And in the 40s, after obtaining this, she had trouble finding a job as she was A, a woman, and B, Chinese. Mm -hmm. So she eventually took a job at the University of Chicago in their philosophy library, making... $10 a week, Damn. which even by 1940 standards is not a whole lot of money. Yeah. Some woman gave her free rent in a basement. Uh -huh. I don't know who the woman was or anything like that. Uh, so at least she didn't have that expense. But obviously she did not get to you know, scout out where she was living because she was getting free housing and everything. And she came a group, uh, across a group of people protesting housing issues within the black community. And this was really her first exposure to the black community and where she was living. I, it didn't go into it in great deal detail, but it kind of indicated that she was living in a black community or mm -hmm. at least nearby, you know, close enough to one. Uh, and this is when she joined the far left workers party, which is a Trotskyist branch of socialism. Okay. And she joined it because of their activism on tenants rights specifically, or, you know, trying to get rid of segregation within uh, renting. Mm -hmm. After she got involved with this party, she met writer activist C.L.R. James, which if that's not a writer's name, then I don't know what is a writer's name. Yeah. And he was a Trinidadian journalist, socialist activist. When she met him, he was carrying a Karl Marx book and a Hegel book. She dug this. They, you know, began working together and she would meet with him for the next decade or so. Okay. And this kind of really started her down her pathway to kind of doing this for a lifetime. I didn't know where to put this, but I also just wanted to mention she met a lot of activists and cultural figures, figures and artists. And one of them was Richard Wright, the writer, okay. which have you read any Native Son, Black Boy? There's many others, but those are the two I've read. It's been a second, but. Um, I feel like Native Son, but I thought it was someone else. Uh -uh. Who am I thinking of? 
I'm thinking of James. I don't know why I'm totally blanking on his name right now. He wrote like Giovanni's apartment. Um, if Beale Street could talk. Oh, I can't. I'm blanking right now. Um, I do know that book. Who's gay too? Which is another reason why I know Giovanni. Mm-hmm. James Baldwin. Oh, okay. Yeah, he yeah, had yeah. a book something something native son. I think it was like something about like. Notes of a Native Son. That's what his book was. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Yep. It's part of a book club I was in at one point. Anyway. But yeah, you know, when you've read something and their name comes up, you're like, yeah, I need to mention that, even though yeah, it has yeah. not a lot of relevance. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So in the 30s, too, socialism was actually very enticing to many people, as at its core, it calls for the working class to uprise kind of over capitalism and create a new society. And what are we what's going on in the 30s? The Great Depression. Yeah. So there's definitely like, a, um, obviously, in the 50s that, you know, kind of took a change as far as the popularity of it. But that's kind of where we're at. So okay. while in Chicago in 1941, there was the March on Washington movement happening, which was basically a plan to have a March on Washington of about 100,000 marchers. Mm -hmm. And it was to end segregation in the armed forces. Mm -hmm. And so she was kind of witnessing like this, the creation of, you know, the organization of this kind of being put together. And what she saw happen was that Roosevelt, president at the time, he couldn't afford to have 100,000 marchers descend on the Capitol. So he actually met with a group of black leaders, as well as members of his cabinet, his wife, Eleanor, and he created Executive Order 8802, which reads, There shall be no discrimination in the employment of workers in defense industries and in government because of race, creed, color, and national origin. Nice. So she kind of saw that when groups of people, again, converge, like things can actually move forward or progress not that it fixes everything but it moves forward or progresses in some matter yeah yeah and or she started writing under her party name which is like an underground name because at this time too the fbi is red flagging socialism because what is a threat to capitalism socialism Socialism. yeah yeah so her underground name was ria stone her first piece was a worker's manual and Mm. From here, she would write many books and such, too, most of them under her own name. But I think in early publications, it was Rio Stone. And this all made it the perfect time for her to make the decision to move to little old Detroit. Yes. You know, you know that place. I know know her. her. Yeah. And she became an editor for the Correspondence Publishing Committee's biweekly publication called Correspondence. And it was headed by C.L.R. James, the man she had met. And what she said about moving to Detroit is, that's where the workers are. That's where you need to be. Mm-hmm. And when she arrived, the city stood about 2 million people. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a pretty large population. Yeah. Uh, for within the city of Detroit. Obviously, it's gone all over the place. Yeah. Very quickly. So, during this time period, she met and married... Her husband, James Boggs, who was a African-American man in 1953, he was a known activist and organizer. He -hmm. was an auto worker. He worked on the line for Chrysler, an author. Well, he would become an author. He was born originally in Alabama, May 27th, 1919. And his time at Chrysler was from 1940 to 68. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was actually exiled too to Britain. I couldn't find exactly why. Uh, I'm assuming for something related to his politics in the early 50s. But by 1953, he'd come back. It's weird to be exiled to Britain. Yeah. And it said it in a couple places. So, I'm, I mean, yeah, it, it seemed legit, but there I'm wasn't a whole lot it. of I'm just like, that's such an odd choice. Like, go to Britain. <laughs> yeah. OK. <laughs> like, how do I get this to happen to me? <laughs> uh, now we're going to set the scene for 1950s Detroit. Uh, James arrives and he volunteers to be a journalist for the correspondence, the publication, and to work with their whole group. This is where he and Grace met in 1953. Mm -hmm. So Jimmy had a thick Alabama accent. And in the movie, there's actually like clips of him talking and stuff like that. It is hard to understand. It's very thick accent. And 
you know, she would even describe that accent for the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. And she said he was like no one she'd ever met. So she invited him to dinner. Ooh. Yeah. And this was pretty early on. It sounded like like it wasn't like they knew each other for years or anything like that. So she decided to play some Louis Armstrong. Great choice. Mm-hmm. And she remembered he was late. And he was unpleasant, but somehow it worked because he asked her to marry him that night. Wow. Yeah. And she said, yes. See, usually when someone runs on like on a date with me, I just make them pay. Yeah. I just, it's wild listening to, because the, you know, the, in the documentary, like people, the person is interviewing her or whatever about it. And one thing the interviewer does point out, though, is that Grace does not like to talk in a negative fashion and sometimes does um, or would divert away from personal questions. Mm-hmm. But in a way where she still answer it, it, it's a very interesting thing where I think she just wanted to always be positive. Not a bad thing. Yeah, but they were together and it seemed, you know, it seemed to go well. They had a solid foundation. They were their whole relationship was based on equality, intellect and political activism. All good things. Yeah. Uh, They thought a lot about the role of automation as, you know, he was a line worker, uh, capital flight, and also racism plaguing the country. Mm -hmm. And they kind of like really pushed each other forward, I think, because they would have these like long conversations about all these topics. And over the course of both of their lives, they would both create very thick FBI files about them. Work. Many of the documents signed by Hoover. (laughs) And, oh, on one of them, Grace even noted that she was referred to as Chinese of African descent, which isn't a thing. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, um, you can be you can be multiple ethnicities, but I'm. Yeah, I don't know how that would work. No, I mean, she was like laughing about it, too. Yeah. Uh, but it was because she became so politically active, especially within the black rights movement that mm-hmm. like they didn't. I don't think the files knew what to make of her. And so that's kind of how they categorized her. Because apparently you need to be categorized. Mm. I don't know. People like to put people in boxes. Yeah. Language is a weird thing. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. So they both began publicly speaking about Black Revolution. And they wanted to make make it apparent that it was more about rights. And not the Black population wanting to be like white people because that was a large misunderstanding i think at the time that a lot of people needed to be educated about Mm -hmm. you know they created a lot a lot of different groups and stuff over the years i'm not going to go into every single one of them but in 1962 they actually split from their former alliance with clr james the correspondence group guy Mm -hmm. and continued to run it on their own again this led to many other groups in 1963, James Boggs wrote The American Revolution. Mm-hmm. And in that same year, Grace was actually one of the organizers for the 1963 March down Woodward Avenue in Detroit, calling it the Detroit Rock of Freedom, in which 125,000 or more gathered. Wow. At the time was the largest civil rights demonstration in the na- nation's history at that time. Ooh. Yeah. So it was um, Martin Luther King, and he gave a version of the I Have a Dream speech. Mm-hmm. At that. So Grace, having met both uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X, as well as having read their writings, started examining the differences between their two strategies and questioning her own thoughts on what was most effective. Earlier mm-hmm. on, she probably took a more assertive slash aggressive approach at things. And not that she ever thought that was wrong or anything like that, but she started to kind of come around to almost like a combination between the two mm-hmm. approaches. And she talked a lot about that in in the documentary itself. Mm -hmm. So through the 50... Oh, I'm sorry. In 1964, she unsuccessfully attempted to convince Malcolm X to run for U.S. Senate. And during this time, she also wrote a number of books with her husband focusing on community activism in Detroit. Mm -hmm. And she helped organize a black political party and was starting to be recognized as this black political figure. Mm -hmm. And... Through the 50s and 60s, there was a lot of white flight out of the city leading up to the 1967 riots. Mm. And she noted, however, that in Detroit, it was actually not a riot, but a rebellion. Mm -hmm. And that was a very, you know, important uh, clarification to make. And she and James were actually out of town for the riots. 
they would start and I don't know if this is where they're out of town at, but kind of maybe they were. They would start going to Maine. Their friends had some property there and they would go there every summer for like, I think, a long time. Mm-hmm. And they would just participate in discord and discussions about the political movement itself. Oh. So kind of trying to generate new concepts and ideas. Interesting. Yeah. So she also held conversation to be the most essential part of human life. If you, you know, said conversation that important, she that she wasn't going to have that. Uh huh. Because it can really like through conversation, you can change perspectives or give people new ideas. I would agree with that statement. Yeah, exactly. And she actually is talking to Donald Glover for a second in the documentary. Interesting. Yeah, and he's he's talking about um, education. She actually kind of she spins it around and does end up changing his opinions about like what the uh, disparities in education are that like, I forget how he says it and I wish I had written this down, but I didn't, but she kind of just talks about like, it's not that everybody wants the same exact education, but they want the equal like amount of education essentially like, you know, Mm -hmm. and sometimes we prioritize the wrong things. And then she gives him six books to read, because I guess that was like her thing. If you had a conversation in your house, you're going to leave with a book. Interesting. Yeah. So we're going to kind of, um, oh, over the next few decades, she shifted her perspectives a little. And she and James wrote a book about their conversations in Maine with, you know, different people. And they called it Conversations in Maine. And eventually she developed the philosophy that you cannot overemphasize activism and undervalue reflection. Okay. That became a little bit more of her like repertoire is like really reflecting on, on things and kind of letting that form next steps. Yeah. Yeah. And she also points out that rebellion is an outburst out of anger, but it's not a revolution and a revolution is a much grander change. Mm-hmm. So uh, they weren't limited to Maine though. They had them in their house. They started holding study groups at their house, discussion around current events. If you were serious enough, after months of that, you got invited to a revolution study group, which was dedicated uh, to a book that they co-wrote. That continued for a while. And we're going to actually jump ahead to the 90s. Their ideas had been more like foot on the ground before. And they kind of developed into a little bit more like community based ideas Mm -hmm. as time went on. So. She and James responded to Mayor Coleman Young's plan for casinos to revitalize the city by adding economic, you know, to the economy. And they didn't think that was a great idea. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to create a program for youth influenced by something called the Mississippi, Mississippi Summer Project, mm-hmm. which was way back in June of 64. And it was an attempt to register as many African-American voters as possible in Mississippi in response to barriers created on voter registration. Mm-hmm. And it also led to, and this is where they really get the idea from, creating dozens of freedom schools, freedom houses, and community centers. Mm-hmm. She remembers being influenced by um, Martin Luther King Jr. saying, he proposed that young people in our dying cities needed programs that were designed to change themselves and their society. So really kind of, again, going to the community very specifically. So they mm-hmm. created something called Detroit Summers. Okay. And the motto was, they say it takes a village to raise a child. We believe it takes youth to transform the community. Interesting. Which I freaking love. Like, yeah. I got <laughs> the more people get the earlier on, the better they are and the more they can well, they have more advantages to contribute. Yeah. And by learning through practice and engaging with others from all age groups of activists and educators, you know, we can propel things forward a little bit. Mm-hmm. Some of the activities were like street cleaning, urban gardening, very, very big on urban gardening, mm-hmm. uh, recycling programs, repurposing abandoned lots, again, uh, with urban gardening, mm-hmm. work experience in local enterprises such as back alley bikes. Uh, so like bike repair shop, um, repairing homes, education, outreach, creating, coordinating public art. And a lot of people were confused, though, what Detroit Summer had to do with the movement. Mm-hmm. But the more people got involved, they it became apparent. Yeah. It was creating the next generation of leaders. I love that. Yeah. So youth organizers from this would also attend things like the Allied Media Conference, 
which is now held annually in the city. It gives it gives youth the chance to interact with community organizers, media activists, educators and scholars while organizing panels, attending sessions and workshops, focusing on community oriented media. Mm hmm. And alumni have gone on to leadership positions with Detroit Summer, the Bog Center, uh, and made large contributions to the Detroit community. Mm -hmm. And one of the first students, I think she was in the first group of students who actually went to uh, Detroit Summer. And I believe her name was Julia Putnam. She even organized and opened a charter school in their name called the James and Grace Lee Boggs School. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I think she was a teacher at first, but now she's the principal, according to their website. So... Oh, nice. Yeah, it's really nice. And unfortunately, James passed away on July 22nd of 1993 after 40 years of marriage to Grace. Oh. She continued the efforts and the conversations and the activism, though, after his passing. She kind of, yeah. I mean, she was definitely saddened by it, but she kind of had a, she said in the documentary, I didn't write this down, but she said that the day after he passed away, she woke up the next morning and ate oatmeal and she was just like, I'm going to eat oatmeal every day. Like she just like made a morning routine for herself to kind of like keep chugging forward. Okay. Yeah. Uh, she wouldn't pass until 2015 oh, wow. at the age of 100, which actually I said earlier, I think the documentary is from 2014 because she was 99 in the documentary. Okay. Yeah. So she passed at the age of 100, uh, made it to that centennial. And yeah, one thing though that, she really wanted to leave behind is that a revolution and evolution are kind of intertwined. We mm -hmm. are responsible for evolution of the species as people. Mm -hmm. And so her, her big quote, and there's a bunch of t-shirts and stuff with this is change yourself to change the world. I love that. Yeah. And that is Grace Lee Boggs. What a queen just doing the most. I love when people are doing the most. Yeah, yeah. She's just it was a really good watch. Again, I would recommend it. Is it streaming anywhere or it, it's four bucks on Prime. That's not bad. That's yeah. Reasonable. It's doable. Uh it's actually because I just was looking I do like a good documentary, so I was just looking up Detroit documentaries, and there's not a lot, or they're not that easy to find. Because a lot of them I think are in like smaller circulation or production. Mm -hmm. And this was one that came up with you know, I watched the trailer and I was like, oh, I want to watch that. Nice. Yeah. I still wish I could find the Ruth Ellis one, but like, it was like, you could buy it on VHS. But I'm like, nah, I can't. I That's what I mean. Yeah. Like a lot of them are not available really streaming online anywhere. Yeah. It's very hard to find them, which you would think with like the streaming culture, it'd be easier to access stuff, but it's really not. Sometimes. Right. It kind of bums me out sometimes when like some movies aren't streaming anywhere at all. And it's like, what good is it doing anyone like seeing an archive somewhere mm -hmm. where nobody can watch it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Upload that shit. This is more lowbrow, but um, one of my favorite New Year's, well, there's not that many New Year's Eve movies and most of them suck. But one of my favorite New Year's Eve movies is this movie, 200 Cigarettes. Yeah, I still haven't seen it. I remember like seeing it at your New Year's party mm -hmm. two years ago, and I was like, this looks great. I want to watch it's this. It's a lot of fun. I have a DVD of it, but it's a copied DVD. I don't know how long that's going to last. So I went to go see if there was like a way to buy like an actual DVD of it. Uh -huh. No. Really? And it's not streaming anywhere. And I mean, maybe that will change at some point. But I remember being like, oh, oh. Or maybe there was like you could buy a copy for like five hundred dollars or some like ridiculous right, amount. Like where some was nonsense like, like I'm not that. Not gonna do that. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Oh yeah, there's been the library is a good resource for things like that. There's been a couple. I feel like mostly share movies, but like movies where you can't find them anywhere, and then like the library will have them or like some branch. Like I love like the Oakland County libraries because they're all connected. Mm hmm. I have not been to a library in a second. It, I mean, they're all closed right now, but like... Well, yeah. No, but... I mean, it's been longer yeah. than that. But I, I did go to a few, uh, like, discussions at the library. So I've been, yeah. but not for library purposes. <laughs> I used to live at the library. Like, especially when I lived in Canton, just because, like... I don't know, I would go at least once a week. Oh, wow. I do love a library. 
we did rent movies from the library a lot when I was a kid. I mean, we I got books and stuff too, but yeah, I do remember going and getting movies there all the time, and them having a weird but surprisingly decent selection. Yeah, it wasn't huge. It was like medium sized. We stay in a library. We stay in a library and we stand Grace Lee Boggs. But good job. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for listening. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I had a couple other things totally planned. And they're fun. But I'll I really wanted eventually. to watch this movie. Yeah. 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 Maybe that'll be Yay. the movie I watch tonight instead of watching another Oceans movie. I was just going to say, I recommend it. It was like a... Yeah. Sometimes document. I mean, I love documentaries, but sometimes they're a little dry. Yeah. This one, it moved. Love a documentary that moves. Mm-hmm. It moved. It grooved. It kicked up its shoes. Ah, uh, love all those things. Uh, are you ready for some two truths and a lie? Extremely ready. Okay. So I've mentioned the ocean movies a lot. Mm-hmm. So I did mine on the Oceans movies. Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Um, Maybe, I don't know. I feel like some of them, I feel like you might be able to figure it out. Because like, okay. they're not like, in this scene, it's kind of just like, I don't know. What we'll hand see. was the coffee cup in, his right or his left? Right. Okay, so fact number one. Mm-hmm. Luke Wilson was originally cast in Oceans 11, but ended up dropping out so he could do Legally Blonde instead. Fact two, the 2001 movie was actually a remake of a 1960 movie starring Frank Sinatra as Danny Ocean, so the main character. Okay. Fact three, Don Cheadle, who played Basher in the trilogy, was not credited in the first movie, but was for the second two. Okay. Oh, I hope that one's not right. I'm pretty sure number two is correct, because I'm pretty sure I've heard that. Unless Mm -hmm. it's not Frank Sinatra and it's somebody else, but I'm just going to stick with that. Okay. I'm going to, you know what? I kind of feel like it's probably one, but I'm going to go with three because I want that to not be true. Three is actually true. Dang it. And I'll tell you sucks. why. Well, no. So he asked to be above. He asked for above the title billing, like Clooney, Damon and Pitt. So mm-hmm. I think that just means your name show before the title of the movie. Yeah. Um. But he was denied that, so he refused to be credited at all in the first movie, despite playing one of the Ocean's Eleven. Weird. But, so for the next two movies, he did get above the bill, above the title billing, so. Okay. He got it for the second two. Unfortunately, he wasn't, I, it's interesting he wasn't credited at all for the first one, but, um, yeah. Also, I didn't know he didn't have a British accent, that he wasn't British. He's, like, from Kansas. You thought he was British? I think that's, like, really the only movie I've seen him in, and he's got that, like, uh, Cockney accent. He does, like, the Cockney, like, rhyming slang, and I'm like, he's, like, too good at this for not, not to be real. And then I, like, looked it up, and I'm like, oh, not at all. Which also, fuck Cockney rhyming slang. I know it's their thing, but, like, why? Oh, yeah, because you haven't seen the superhero. Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't superhero. Yeah, which he's... You know, in those. Yeah. Or you haven't seen the Golden Girls clip that everybody is circulating? I don't know. Oh, he's in a he was in a Golden Girls episode. I don't know the episode specifically, but everybody was like putting clips of it together because for some reason, Blanche and Rose are. Oh, I think it's when they own their hotel, maybe. Oh, so is it from the Golden Palace? I don't know. I don't know. It said Golden Girls everywhere, but they're running a hotel, but Dorothy's not there. So that kind of makes sense. Yeah. To be honest, I haven't seen past like season four of the Golden Girls. I think I've seen all of Golden Girls, but I haven't really seen the Golden Palace that much. I mean, like a few. It wasn't in syndication as much. It didn't. It didn't do as well. It didn't last as long. No. I think maybe it got two seasons tops. Yeah. But no, there's been this clip circulating. And I think Blanche, like, I think the premise is she wants to put up. The um Southern flag, the Confederate flag. Oh. And it's because like she's got like childhood memories and blah 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 yeah. blah. And for some reason they're dressed in like the garb too, like the old fashioned dresses and stuff. Yeah. And Don Cheadle's there, and I don't know if he works at the hotel. I don't know what the the relation is there, but like she kind of calls her ass out, or he kind of calls her ass out for it. Uh huh. 
And I was like, uh, so that's racist. And then she's like, no, it's not. Da, da, da. But then like by the end, there's like a clip. There's a there's a few problematic things that like aren't great, like if they were stated that way today, but also we're talking about 30 Early years 90s. ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like that terribly yeah. of an ooh. The only thing is like I think they come to the conclusion that they both need to listen to each other better, and that's not necessarily Yeah. Really the conclusion that should be had. But I, I think it was done with like the best intentions and everything. So Yeah. Yeah. But then it's Don Cheadle too. So you're like, oh. I'll have I've to seen look him. that up. Uh because I do like Don Cheadle. I think he does a good job in the movies as Basher and Obviously, mm-hmm. I thought his accent was great because didn't realize it was an accent uh, or put That's on. So anyway. interesting, yeah. Um, so you've got fact one and fact two left. Oh yeah, I'm gonna go with one being the lie. This is true. So uh, Luke Wilson was originally cast. Him and Owen Wilson were cast as the brothers Virgil and Turk. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're just like the two brothers that are always like messing around with each other and like yeah. You know how, like, Tweedledee, Tweedledum kind of situation. Yeah. So they were originally cast, what? They're huge. Yeah. So they were cast as those roles, and Danny Glover was cast to play Frank, and Mm -hmm. all three ended up leaving to do Wes Anderson's Royal Tenenbaums. Mm Mm-hmm. And they were replaced with Casey Affleck, Scott Cann, and Bernie Mac. Okay. And then two was true. Okay. So the original was a musical, actually. So that's interesting. A musical heist movie. Mm-hmm. And it had five of the Rat Pack. So along with Sinatra, there was Peter Lawford, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr., and Joey Bishop. Mm-hmm. Wait. So which one was the lie? The first one. Luke Wilson. Oh, okay. He oh, was originally okay. he was originally cast, but he didn't leave to do Legally Blonde. He left to do was, the okay, World yeah. Tenenbaums. Yeah. Sorry, I heard the true part, and I heard you're good, you're the Bombs, but like I didn't. Yeah. I didn't put it all together. Okay. Fair. Good. That was a tricky one. Yeah, yeah, there was. But I know my Sinatra. Yes. A few more fun facts. So Danny Ocean was the only character used in the trilogy from the original. Topher Grace plays himself in the first two movies. So Ocean's Eleven, Ocean Twelve. Topher Grace just plays himself, which is interesting. Weird. Uh, And Matt Damon's role was originally written for Mark Wahlberg, who opted to do the Planet of the Apes remake instead. So... We know which one people remember. That's uncomfortable for... Yeah. Never seen it, have no interest. Same. You'd have to pay me a lot of money. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's the... That's the Oceans movies. In a nutshell. Yeah. Minus Oceans 8. I don't think about Oceans 8 in there. But it's kind of its own thing. Well, it's it's the universe. It's just none of the characters from the other... They they mention Danny Ocean, but mm-hmm. he's dead. Oh, rip. So, like, Sandra Bullock is his sister. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the connection. Like, her, she's... I forget her name in the movie, but she's an ocean. Okay. Awesome. Also, Julia Roberts, they got real meta in the second one, and Julia Roberts' character, Tess, they were like, she kind of looks like that would never work. So they have Julia Roberts playing a woman named Tess pretending to be Julia Roberts at one point. And then Bruce Willis playing himself recognizes Julia is like, uh, like tries to like talk to her, but she's like, and it's funny because she pretends to be starstruck or like she act like, I don't know. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. The amount of meta and people playing themselves that happen in the oceans movies. That's fun. Yeah. I like little, was that Easter eggs or whatever? Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Wow. I think that does that wraps wrap us? us? Yeah, I, I think, think it we're does. Wrapped. Are we wrapped? Wrapped. Awesome. Like yes. a Christmas gift. Or a pita. Yeah. Delicious pita sandwich. Or a burrito. Oh. Sorry, I'm hungry. It's dinner time. I'm hungry too. And I have no food. And I'm not shopping. Until oh. tomorrow. You know. Get some delicious takeout then. <sighs> I don't know. Like I... <sighs> This was such a small part of what you're talking about. I remember at one point you said like something about Chinese restaurants. And I was like, oh, crab rangoon sound delicious right now. That is like 
one of my weaknesses. Oh, I know. I know. As soon as I thought about it, I was like, oh, just loves crab ragoons. Yeah. I've been getting it from the Thai place by my house, like May's Thai or May's Bangkok Express downtown, Ferndale. Mm-hmm. They have the best crab rangoons. You don't go to the other place down Nine Mile in Oak Park? Oh, uh, Thai Fai? Fai Thai? Yeah. Thai yeah. One of those? Yeah. Yeah. I've been a couple times and I haven't really been super impressed. I think it's kind of one of those places that like when they do like the pan Asian cuisine where it's just kind of like all of Asia, we're like we have sushi, we have like Chinese food, we have Thai food. It's kind of like you do all these things, but you do none of them like great, you know, it's a mad, it's a, it's a jack of all trades, master of none kind of situation. I, for me. I do like their sushi, actually. And that's the only thing I can speak to that I've had there. It's pretty basic, but this is so not an Asian cuisine, but I love it. They also have that baked avocado half where it's like hot Ooh. avocado with the crab salad in it. And then it's baked. That always reminds me of the bell jar because they, she like goes into detail about eating avocados like that. I kind of remember that. It's been a minute since I read that, but yeah, she goes into depth about a lot of things. That was my favorite book for a while when I had a lot of feelings. I still love it. but like I liked it when I read it. I only read it once. And honestly, I couldn't really tell you too much about it. Yeah. Other, you know, Sylvia Plath. But I liked it. I remember liking it a lot. Just don't I remember I think it's a it very now. relatable book for the stage of life. Like, we're kind of in. Like, young professionals. Or, like, young yeah. people trying to find their way. I don't know. I was going to say, I think I read it in, like, late high school. And it really, like, resonated I re- yeah, I think that I read it in college and loved it. Okay, yeah, that makes I sense. Read it. Yeah, I think that's like the perfect time to read it. Oh yeah, if you're I like in college, tried to please... go back and read it a couple like a year or two ago, and I got like a couple pages in, and then kind of just like lost interest and moved on to something else. Hmm. I get that. I also read like three to four books at a time and take years to finish them. So I did oh, not manage anymore. to make it through Crazy Rich Asians. So. You should borrow it sometime so we can talk about it. Okay, good. I finished one of my four books that I'm in the middle of, so... Nice. Yeah, and I'm close to finishing my second. I'm bummed because I ordered a book from Literati, and it hasn't came yet, and the tracking is all effed up. So I'm like, is it coming? Who knows? But, like, it's so weird because, like, just not even that long ago, we didn't have all this tracking where, like, you could see where your package was every minute of every day, like... Mm-hmm. It is at this warehouse in this city. Mm-hmm. And like. Just like what we get used to of like being able to track everything or everything coming within like a day or two. Yeah, I've had a package. Actually, I'm missing two packages right at the beginning of quarantine. There was and it was a really cheap one. Um, something I got off Etsy is caught at the U.S. post office near me because they sent it certified mail or whatever. So you have to sign mm-hmm. for it. It was $13. Oh. I was like, why did you send it that way? It was $13. Right. And then I wasn't here. And then I went to go grab it, but they hadn't taken it and put it in the room where they could grab it. It was still like, I don't know. So they couldn't find it. And then quarantine happened. And then I actually forgot until just now. (laughs) And then um, I heard it some clothes the other day or a month ago. And they've been at a Detroit facility for about three and a half weeks. Damn. Yeah. I hope I hope at least like. My book and your clothes and jewelry or whatever you ordered off at Etsy are just chilling, having a good time together. I hope they at least became friends. Hippie shit is what I ordered. Me too. That would work. I feel like your hippie shit would be friends because I ordered a Christopher Isherwood book. So I feel like that would work. Okay. I ordered rune stones. (laughs) Love that for you. I don't know. um, I don't have any point of reference for Runestones except for RuneScape, the computer game, and also the Ancient Ruins, or Ancient Ruins was a, a subject in Harry Potter. I only slightly know about them, to be honest. All okay. I know is they're kind of, they've got like a tarot-y kind of presence. Like you Love can, that. Um, not the same, but like you can, you can like pull stones or whatever, I think. I still need to send you that clip um, from Trixie and Katya Save the World where she reads Uno cards in place of tarot cards. Yes. Yes, you do. Because it was hilarious. I knew I would you of all people would appreciate this. 
Well, we got sidetracked. <laughs> we definitely did. We we thought we were wrapped, and then we weren't. We were unwrapped. Unwrapped. Yeah. Oh, do you remember that show? Sorry, I'll stop. <laughs> but now, but now we'll we'll wrap it up. Yeah, we will. It's like a quesarito. We're wrapping it twice. We had to throw a little cheese in there first, and now we're wrapping it up. I'm sorry, it is still dinner time. I will get to it. That's okay. If you want to follow us on social media, Detroit Strange on Facebook, at Detroit Strange on Instagram and Twitter, and if you want to email us, it's DetroitStrange at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And please subscribe, rate, review, and write us. Yeah. I would love to hear from somebody. Yeah. That'd be great. And until next time. Stay, Stay strange. strange. This has been a production of Planet Amp Podcast, powered by Pinecast. Our theme song was created by Sax and Violence.